Do you love the book of Hebrews? It's been an awesome study for 16 weeks. This is week 16, and we're going to try to handle chapter 13 this morning, which is a tall order, but we're going to do the best that we can. I want to begin by asking you a question. Are you in the will of God today? The will of God is the best place to be. It's the safest place to be. There's no place that you would rather be. If you love Jesus and he's your Savior, could you ask yourself, am I in God's will today? And if not, where do I need to make any modifications in my life so that I could live in the will of God, the place of blessing, safety, direction, his presence, really his blessing on every part of my life? I believe the book of Hebrews took 12 chapters to describe all that God accomplished through his son who is greater in his word than any word that was previously spoken. He's greater in his sacrifice than any of the animals that were ever sacrificed in the Old Testament system. He's greater in his blood to forgive us of our sins, and he's greater in in his role as the great high priest, he established a greater covenant. Jesus is greater than everything. And the point of Hebrews is to point us now to this conclusion, almost as if we could say, well, what difference does that make in the way that you live your life? And there is a call in chapter 13 to live in the will of God. And I just think it's a good introspective question for us to ask ourselves Lord, search my heart. Am I in your will today? Let me begin by, uh, because chapter 13 is a long chapter with lots of commands, please look at chapter 13 and verse 28. I know we have a microphone problem. You just relax. It goes away. It comes back. We're not sure where it comes from, but we're working on it. Okay, chapter 12, think of all the blessings that we have compared to our brothers and sisters over all the years of meeting together in caves and outside. Think of what we have. So let's just relax, be blessed by God. He's with us. This is his word. Chapter 12, verse 28 says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. That's the way we ended last week. God, through his Son, has brought us into his kingdom. It is an unshakable kingdom. If you're with Christ, you win. If you're with Christ, you're, king, you're part of the kingdom that will last forever. All other earthly kingdoms will fade away. But if you are a part of the kingdom of God through his son, Jesus Christ, you have a kingdom that cannot be shaken when the world falls apart. So the response in 12 is let's worship him and offer to him our lives in every way. That's a bookend. Now please look at chapter 13 and verse 20, where the chapter ends with this benediction. And I'm going to start with this benediction and the end of verse 12, because I think everything in between reflects these two sentiments. This is a benediction. Would you read it with me? Let's read it out loud. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus... 
the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I had a great close of the book. It's one of the most beautiful benedictions of praise. Now may the God of peace, that's God's name. How is it that we may have peace with God? Well, it's right here. We may have peace with God because he brought up Christ from the dead. And in one of the last references in the book of Hebrews, he reminds us of the resurrection of Jesus, the gospel-centered reality that Christ died and rose again. And he rose again because his blood established a covenant, an eternal covenant through his blood whereby sinners could be forgiven and brought into relationship with God so that if we are in Christ Jesus, we have peace with God because of his blood. Listen, the very first thing about being in the will of God is that it's God's will that you would trust in Jesus with all of your heart and know that God raised him from the dead. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you call on him to be the Lord of your life, you will be saved and you'll be part of an eternal kingdom. May the God of peace, do you have peace with God? Peace on earth. Most of the earth is not at peace with God. Much of the earth doesn't even believe there is a God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God, and yet the God of peace sent his son into the world in the Christmas season that we celebrate so that he would go to the cross, offer his blood to establish an eternal covenant, and then be raised from the dead so that we could be with peace, at peace with God. And he is the shepherd of our life. He is the one who says to us, this way, this way, this way, this is my will. I am the shepherd. I'm the, what kind of shepherd? Good shepherd. Yeah, and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is the way the prayer ends. May the God of peace. Verse 21. May he equip you with every good thing to do his will. If I could reduce this benediction into a simple phrase, here's how it goes. May the God of peace equip you that you would do his will. That's the idea of the prayer. May the God of peace equip you that you would do his will. Let's fill in the rest. Equip you with every good thing that you need that you could do his will. How do I do his will? Well, He's working in us while we're trying to do his will. He's at work in all the circumstances of our life so that we would move in the direction of our life to do the will of God, do everything that's pleasing in his sight through who, Jesus Christ who lives inside of us and to Jesus Christ be praised for our life. The whole direction of our life is to the glory of God as God's working in us and we try to align our lives to do the will of God. Get it? This is the way the book ends. May God, who gave you the unshakable kingdom, the blood of the covenant, the resurrected Christ, a shepherd for your life, may he give you everything you need that you can do his will and in your life please God for God's glory. 
That's what makes us the church. A distinct and remarkable group of people, not because of who we are, but because of what God has done in our life. And I believe that this call from chapter 12, 28, 29, that that because we're in the kingdom, we're going to offer to God worship that's pleasing to him. And because he's our shepherd, we're going to do his will. I think the rest of chapter 13 is just a series of commands and instructions. We call them imperatives or like imperatives where we're suggesting this is what the will of God is. So by 12, 28, and 29, and 13, 20, and 21, I want to suggest to you that the rest of 13 is actually what in God's mind is the will of God. Now there are 12 direct imperatives. Some of them have two or three parts to them. So there are really 17 or so different statements that he makes just in random way closing. So I have a 17-point sermon for you. (laughs) No, I don't. No. Um, When you're the pastor, you can just pick the ones that you want. So I'm just going to spend the next 45 minutes on my favorite one, and it comes um, in verse 17. (laughs) Obey your leaders and submit to them. I'm not kidding. No, that's not the one I'm going to preach on. No, come back. Don't leave. I was just kidding. That's a joke. Randy, you don't have to leave church. No, but it's in there, okay? It's one of the ways I I think all of chapter 13 is, what is a happy life in the will of God? And all these things are listed. This is a happy life in the will of God. And one of them is, three times in the chapter, it speaks to leaders. Um, chapter, uh, verse, seven, verse 17, verse 24, leaders are important. Life in the church is important. And there are these verses that we should listen to our leaders. We should follow them, exemplify their faith. Think about the context in which this was written when the writer of Hebrews said, remember your leaders, it was probably that some of their leaders had been martyred, killed, and their faith to go to death was a faith to be modeled. And listen to your leaders that it would be a joy in the fellowship, but that's not the one I'm going to preach on. I want to talk about three things that I think are in this list. And you should study this list all the way through and listen to what God's saying when he begins with let brotherly love continue, entertain um, strangers, be hospitable, visit the prisoner. But in our culture, I've just selected three that I want us to think about this morning. And the first one is in verse 4. Verse 4. 
Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Remember, there are about 12 to 15 statements, and this is one that I relates strongly to our culture today. God gave marriage to us. And he gave marriage to us as a gift, not as a punishment. He gave it to us to fulfill our lives. He gave marriage to us because it's in marriage that he hopes, prays, desires that our lives will be fulfilled in his purpose. That he he wants us to experience the communal life of a man and a woman together. God has ordained that the only sexual relationship affirmed in the Bible is a loving relationship between a man and a woman in a monogamous union of covenantal love. I get that that's narrow. And there aren't many who would embrace it in the world today. But it's been the biblical teaching of the Bible for 2,000 years and we simply listen to it and affirm it. And when we say, what does it mean to live inside the will of God? That's what we want. We want to live inside the will of God. And this was his design for us to bring fulfillment and love. You'll notice that it doesn't need a lot of explanation that the marriage bed is undefiled because it's the way the writer of Hebrews... Okay, what do you want to do? Do you want to change out? Are you all bothered by the in and out? No. Okay. I'll go with it if you can. It's a frequency thing where somebody's interfering with us. They don't want you to hear this message. (laughs) The marriage bed is undefiled says that, that in marriage, the bedroom where sexual intimacy happens is pure and good and a gift and a blessing plan. (laughs) That's God's plan for us. And there's a judgment that comes to be outside the will of God. So I ask the question again, are you in the will of God? Are you in the will of God in your marriage? If you're single, are you in the will of God in your sexual life? That's an important question. And I just want to call you to say, you're part of a kingdom. If you know Jesus, you're part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And the best place for you to live is in the will of God. May the God of peace who brought Jesus up from the dead equip you to do his will, which includes your sexual purity. We've looked over the years at another text that helps us understand this. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So I don't want to take too much time except that we do live in a culture that is sexually immoral and promotes sexual immorality, and there is a flood of pornographic sexual immorality that bombards all of us who know Jesus and live in this world. And one of the unique features of being a part of the kingdom of God is that we live a remarkably different life than the world. And one of the ways that that shows up is in our marriage. No one has a perfect marriage. 
No marriage is without problems. Every marriage has two sinners in it. And every marriage needs the grace of God. If you're in a perfect place in your marriage or you're on the fence in your marriage, I really want to commend to you the weekend to remember as a gift. We will help you get there if you need to because we want marriages in this church to stand out as a unique presence in the world that that's a marriage where God dwells and God has changed those people's lives. Marriage is hard work. Would you agree? Who's been married more than 50 years and, and says marriage is hard? Still, still hard you know, sometimes? Yeah, great. Awesome. <clears throat> marriage is honorable. And, oh man, I really want to lean in a little bit to marriage. The age of marriage is getting older. And I would just say, try to stop that. Grow up faster. Get married earlier. <laughs> you know, I think you should get married. Don't put yourself through. I'm not suggesting you get married too early, but come on. 37, don't, yeah, I'm just, I don't know. If you, they, just, just get, God gave marriage as a gift. Stop being so picky and selfish. Get married. Okay, there isn't a perfect person out there to get married to. There isn't. You love and marriage is rooted on loving sacrificially as Christ loved us. Marriage is to be held in honor. Are there any questions? All right, let me, let me give you the second one. Is that, a, is that not a culturally important subject for us? And you want to be in the will of God. That's the context of it. I'm in the will of God. I know what God says about marriage, and I believe what God says about marriage. I want that to be true of us. Second thing, the next verse, five and six. Five and six, another cultural issue really in our grill. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can a man do to me? Is that a cultural, relevant command? You want to be in the will of God? Don't work for money. Work for God. Don't love money. Love God. We all need money, and the Lord knows what we need. But there is a way to get idolatrous in our hearts and transpose a dependence on God for a dependence on more money. How much is enough? When will I be satisfied? All of these things are a challenge to us in a materialistic world in which we live. But being in the will of God says... I love God, not money. I know what I have comes from him. My ability to earn money is because God has given me the skills that I need to do this job to make that income. When I get money, I know that I honor the Lord from the first of my income, and it's the way that I keep my heart in tuned so that when I get paid, I set money aside as a gift and offering to God, and it just helps me know that all of my money is from him. All of it is because of him, and I know money is necessary in the world, and life is easier when you have more of it, and money is not the issue. What is the issue? 
It's the love of it. It's the idolatrous, I must have more. It's the greed of it. It's the love of more and more and more that gets us sideways in our life. So that what Paul said in 1 Timothy is, godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world. We take nothing out. I did two funerals this week. And while I was thinking about this message and officiating two funeral services, I I just remember an illustration I've made. When a baby comes into the world, the the thing it does most is like it wants to grab. Grab your finger, it'll grab anything, grab, grab. And it's sort of the motif for how we go through life, grabbing, grabbing, grabbing. And then we die and our hands go like this. We brought nothing into the world, we'll take nothing out. So what should we do with our money? We should lay up with our resources, treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and decay. Jesus said, go and sell your possessions and give to charity and make for yourselves a money belt that will not fade away. What do you do with your resources so that you actually use your resources for God's kingdom and his good? If we have food and clothing, with these we'll be content. Really? In the United States, if we just had food and clothing, we'd be content? It's a very convicting statement, isn't it? Contentment. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The love of money is the root. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some have lost their faith because of it. Don't be that. You're part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Your heavenly Father knows you have need of these things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. All that God wants. There is not a prosperity gospel taught in the Bible. Turn the TV off if you're listening to prosperity gospel. It's wrong. It's damning. It's ruinous. What the Bible's message about money is don't love it. I would say make as much as you can. Give it away. Be generous. Cultivate a heart in which you say, God, where do you want me to put the resources? We've all known people who have made a lot of money and they've been very generous. And we've known people who have made a lot of money and been very selfish. But the heart who belongs to the shepherd of the sheep, the kingdom that cannot be shaken, says, my life is free from the love of money. This is a cultural challenge for the church. But how does our church live distinct a remarkable church in a world that loves money. It must be that we say the king owns it all and we belong to his kingdom. So it sort of passes through our hands easily. We don't hoard, we say, Lord, where do you want to use our resources? I, I, will, I know the Lord will never leave me or forsake me. Now, you have to remember the context of chapter 11, right? There were believers there who suffered the loss of their property. They rejoiced. And and in chapter 10 or 12, it's like they lost their property, but they went to the fires of martyrdom, and they entered into the kingdom rich. This is a super challenge for American materialistic people like me. 
We, we've got to always keep working. Lord, I want to be in your will about this. You with me? Okay. Even when your life has much, it doesn't consist of your possessions. All right, I have one more that I picked that I wanted to talk about. And there's so many more in here. I I suppose we could look at verse 8 that's not on the screen, but Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. I love that verse. You could memorize it today. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it's like this is the message. It hasn't changed in the first century to today. These things are true. Marriage is honorable. Don't love money. And then I want to look at verse 16. 16, I'd like to look at it. It says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Do not neglect to do good. Because what I'm thinking about is a church like ours studying the book of Hebrews and realizing that Jesus is greater than anything that came before. And the greatness of Jesus shapes our life so that we understand marriage is his gift, we understand what, what's what about our money, and we understand that with our time and our energy, we do not neglect to do good and to share our lives with others because this pleases God. I take this for you this morning because I want us both celebrate and call us to be remarkable people in the world that it could be remarked of us that they live differently and the will of God is different than the rest of the world. I meant to look at second, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, and maybe we could just look at it and then come back to this verse. It says, Do not love the world, neither the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father, everybody, is not in him. Severe. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's of the world. And the world is passing away with all its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The world is passing away. You're not a part of the world. You're part of a new kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus, that is not shakable. So, back to verse 16. Let's not neglect then to do good to the best of our ability. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, we read, This is the will of God that by doing good you would put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And Titus chapter 2, verse 7 and 8 says, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an an opponent might be put to shame, having nothing to say that's evil about us. Show yourself to be an example of good works. And I think what happened in the first century was the church, so radically transformed by Jesus, lived wherever this audience was in the Roman Empire, lived as a unique set of people set apart by wanting to offer God in a culture that didn't know God the sacrifices that were pleasing to him. And if we go back to verse 16, then it says, don't neglect to do good. Don't neglect to do good. 
I'd like to suggest to you that the, one of the ways that the church has grown over the years throughout the centuries is because of this issue of good works. And we have said over and over again at Calvary that we do good deeds in our community because good deeds leads to a sense of goodwill in the community, and then goodwill opens many opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I was listening this week to a missiologist and pastor and researcher and writer by the name of Ray Bakke. Ray Bakke uh, has traveled to 560 cities around the world uh, and in 20, uh, 2002, he was part of a team that gave birth to a new university called the Baki Graduate School that offers doctoral and master's level degrees um, for ministry leaders and other pastors and missionaries around the world. And there are two-week classes that are taught in cities around the world, in South America, in Asia, uh, in Africa, I was able to attend a class with uh, the, the university a number of years ago in London. But I heard Dr. Bakke speak this week. I want you to listen to some of the things that he said with this verse in our mind. He said, the early church spread without much technology at all. Now, I want you to just think whether technology has thwarted the spread of the gospel in some respects. But he said the early church spread without technology at all. It spread primarily by the quality of the life of the believer. And the testimonies are incredible. He said, while I was doing my doctrinal work in Egypt, a man by the name of Bishop Samuel asked the question, do you know how the church grew in Egypt in the first couple hundred years of the church. Ray said, no, I don't. Bishop Samuel said, through baby hunts. He said, baby hunts? What are baby hunts? The bishop said, there was no birth control in Egypt. So the babies you had and didn't want you could put them out on the stoop of your apartment or your building and anybody could come and take the baby. Animals could come and take the babies and eat them, and they often did. But the bishop said the Christian church provided nursing mothers who would sit in the plaza under the statues of Zeus where anyone could find them. And these nursing mothers were there all day long. And then they organized other groups of people to go up and down the streets collecting the unwanted babies, bringing them to the nursing mothers to be cared for by the church families. The bishop said, this is how the church grew in the first couple hundred years. Baki said, I don't know any church, I've never met any church as radical as that. He went on said another historian by the name of Mumford wrote 27 books, and he writes that the early church would go up and down the streets knocking on the doors and asking, is anyone here sick? And if the answer was yes, they would volunteer to move in and help the sick person until they got well, deliberately exposing themselves to their illness. 
And it was very because Christ has been raised from the dead. I, I want to say to you that an apologetic in the city of Boulder is not going to be about the age of the earth. It's going to be an apologetic of love that says we care. It's going to be an apologetic of presence with people who suffer and are under the slavery of a fear of death. The world is under fear of death. And we're not. We're not under the fear of death. The death rate is one per person. So you can fear it, but you can't escape it, but you can be ready for it, and you do want to be careful you don't, you don't experience the second death, but we're all going to leave this earth, and today when the world is under a great fear of death, we have the unique opportunity to not neglect to do good but to share with those who are sick and afraid and there. This is one of the reasons why Christmas, historically for us, has been one of these times where we have said, what is the way that Calvary Bible Church can live remarkably in the world, not for our glory, not for our attention, but so that people would know that Jesus is the great uh, shepherd of the sheep who God raised from the dead and who established an eternal covenant through his blood so that you can be a part of an eternal kingdom that will not be shaken. It's calling us to be a part of this experience, the heart of Advent. And the heart of Advent is our project where we just want to say, where in the community can we get out and be a part of people's lives? And I want to just remind you of something that I pray will lead us to be, in the will of God, a remarkable set of people who, because of we know God, are, are in the world in these kinds of ways. And these are the projects that we're a part of this year. Step Seminary, uh, Haiti is in trouble. It, it's a mess. It's a wreck. And we're going to try to help them as we can to give them training through seminary for some of their new leaders. They're not going to come right now because it's just not safe for them to leave. It's not going to be a good time. But we're looking for ways that we continue our partnership in Haiti. The Afghan refugee resettlement, I'm proud to tell you that there are three teams from Calvary Bible Church who are part of the Afghan resettlement project. One from this church with 10 people who are going to engage one-on-one with a family of Afghan refugees who are going to come to Boulder County or the outskirts of Boulder County. And I'm thankful for the 10 of you who are in this room today who are a part of that team. And you know now that what you signed up for is probably bigger than you thought. And we all need to pray for that team of 10 people as they're there. Our website has a way for you to connect with that and for you to give furnishings. Most of the furnishings have already been made, but there's still a few more things that these families are coming in. They're going into furnished apartments. And they're going to be walked through, how do you get a driver's license? How do you get involved in school? How do you get health care? How do you get a job? How do you learn the language? And this team of 10 is going to help them get assimilated. Good deeds and hopefully the grace of Christ to them. Why? Don't neglect to do good and to share. 
I love this. This is awesome. But it is a daunting task that I'm going to ask the rest of us. Let's pray for the 10 from this campus who are going to do that. Will you? It's, it's like the world has come to us. We don't have to go to Afghanistan. They're coming to us. <laughs> They're coming to us. And we're going to love them and serve them and, and give to them, provide all that we can for them. And our local projects are numerous. And I want to just remind you that over the years we've been in these partnerships and now in the city of Boulder there are some circles where Calvary Bible Church is considered by people who work in the social service sector as a trusted partner. EFA, Emergency Family Assistance Association, called us and asked us if we would help them right now with a food drive. As you leave today, there's a brown paper bag on the Welcome Center or in the cafe, and I want to encourage you. They asked our church, would you help us? I'd love to say we helped them and not neglect to do good. So I want to really encourage you to grab a bag, fill it up, bring it back next week, and then we're going to bring that to EFA. They need coats, and you can find out about that in the cafe. Um. Boulder County Safe House has asked us to come and bring women from the Safe House to church. They want to go to church. And they asked us, would you be counselors for some of our women and would you help our women get to church? That's a Boulder County social service organization calling Calvary said, would you send people so our clients can come to your church? That's awesome. Why? Because over the years... Um, all thanks to God. All, over the years, we've loved them, we've helped them, we've served them, and, and we do love them. And it, because the good deeds creates good will, and people are hearing the gospel as a result. Um, Habitat for Humanity has called on a number of occasions, asked us to pray and dedicate buildings for people. We've helped build buildings. Why? Because we think that part of being a Christian in a city like Boulder is being remarkable enough to say, we're not selfish, we're going to try not to be selfish, we're going to try to really seek to do good to others. One more. One of the other projects that we're doing this year is the University Hills Elementary over the years, we've helped them for the last year, especially getting over um, COVID and helping students who have fallen behind there. And we've written letters. Uh, Kristen Reiner has really been the leader on this, but many of you have written teacher notes, given encouragement bags. You've helped training happen. We helped them get computer programs for academic recovery. I mean, we've helped them in a lot of ways so that, are you ready for this? Last week, the administration at University Hills Elementary School sent us a letter with a list of Boulder County, Boulder Valley School District, sent us a letter with a list of prayer requests for us to pray for. I love that. You've loved them. And they know there's something, and they want us to be praying for them, for their students, teachers, substitute teachers that they don't have enough of, and some other uh, stuff that's coming next year. I love that that's happening. Why is it happening? 
Because there's a group of people in this church who say, I want to be in the will of God, and the will of God is about what God wants, and he's putting me in places to do good and to share and not to be unfruitful in life. So let's go to the benediction again. And let's just think it through one more time. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may that God of peace equip you with every good thing to do his will, working in all of us what is pleasing in his sight, and to him be glory now and forevermore. And everybody said, that's what we want. That's the difference it makes when Jesus is greater than anything. This is how Hebrews closes. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you've called us into your family through the sacrifice of a Savior who gave his life to establish a covenant between a holy God and sinners such as ourselves, to forgive our sins completely through that sacrifice, and then to be at the right hand of God, answering the prayers of your people and leading your people into your will, and we just want to experience your equipping of our life to be in the will of God. So if your Holy Spirit has spoken to us about any way in which we know we're out your, outside of your will today, I pray that you'll just hear our hearts say to you, Lord, forgive me. I want to be in your will. I want to renounce my sin. I want to follow Christ more closely. I want to love the brotherhood of the church. I want to look for strangers and serve them. I want to think about marriage the way you do. Think about my resources the way you do. Think about my time and doing good in the community around this church in the way that you do. And I pray that you will just elevate the glory of Christ, that from this church there will be people who reflect the glory of Christ to a world that needs to know that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And we're the ones who have tasted that forgiveness. Imperfect people who want to walk in your will, Lord, that's what we are. So help us, equip us, work in us all that pleases you for your glory. Now and forevermore, we all pray. Amen. Would you stand with us as we close in song this morning?